All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses, and I specifically want to welcome those of you at Blaine. Uh, Blaine reopened this weekend, if you didn't know. Uh, we had shut down our Blaine campus over the fall in order to expand the auditorium from 800 seats to 1,500 seats because every 11 o'clock service, we used to have people sitting out in the lobby. They'd be watching on a flat-screen TV attached to the wall. And we just said, you know what, we got to do something about that. So we expanded the Blaine campus. Here's a picture from last night uh, at the Blaine campus. Isn't that incredible? See what God is doing. Way to go. If you are a person who financially gives to this place, this is the kind of thing that you are providing for other people, for a family to be able to come to church and to meet with Jesus Christ. One of the things we also did was we expanded the kids space. And honestly, we made it one of a world-class kids space. I mean, there's like a, a Jeep in there and all kinds of things for the kids. I mean, kids are going to be going to their parents, you've got to get me to church, like begging their parents to bring them to church. And someone told me this week that Blaine is the second fastest growing suburb in the Twin Cities behind Lakeville. In the next 10 years or so, lots of families, young families are going to be moving into Blaine. And so we're really hopeful that that is a place where their kids can meet Christ. Hey, next week is Christmas. And I know you've heard about this already, but just want to say again, who is that person that you're going to invite? You know, I know around Christmas time, there's a lot of people struggling, and they would so appreciate another person who notices them, reaches out to them, and says, hey, would you come to church with me? And maybe they're not even struggling, but they just don't have a church, and they would like to go to a church. They'd like to celebrate the birth of Christ. And who knows what that invite might do? It might make an impact in their life where they keep coming in the, in the following weeks and God could use your life in a powerful way. And so my wife Sarah and I, every Christmas, every Easter, we start thinking, who could we invite? Bob's got an incredible message. We think it's going to be one of our better services that we've done the last couple of years for Christmas. So really want to encourage you to invite someone next week. Today we are wrapping up our series called Anchor Deep. Because if you're in a storm in life, what matters is how deep is your anchor? If you feel like quitting, if you're in trouble, if you feel weak, the question is, is your soul anchored deep into God's word? And so in this series, we've been trying to give you some go-to Bible verses that will help you get through the storms of life. Today's message is titled, When I'm Anxious. Why is it that so many people struggle with anxiety? few months ago, my two oldest sons were at a basketball event at the Midtown YWCA in Minneapolis, and afterwards I was driving over to my mother-in-law's apartment in Crystal. Now, driving through downtown Minneapolis used to be kind of an anxious deal, because you'd have to look at the street signs. If you remember, you might even have to pull over, get the map out of your glove compartment, and try to figure out where you were going. Very stressful. But these days, you just put it in your phone, and it drives you right there. So I punched in my mother-in-law's address, and right away I could tell that something was off. It kept telling me to take a right and turn down an alley. I'm like, that's not even a road. Finally, it told me to take a left on the Midtown Greenway. And it seemed a little weird because I had to kind of backtrack to take this left turn but it sort of looked like a road, so I took a left on the Midtown Greenway, and right away I realized I had made a major mistake. Because over the hill came 30 bikers, and I realized that I wasn't driving on a road, I was driving on a bike path. 
The first biker who passed me in a rather animated, angry tone said to me, you're on a bike path. And for a normal person, that might throw them a little bit and they might respond with some energy and some anger. But I'm a pastor, so I wake up every morning, I put on my angelic underpants, and, and they just glow in situations like this so that I can show the light of Christ how I'm supposed to. So I looked at him and I said, don't you think I know that? And then the next biker went by. He's like, you're on a bike path. I'm like, zip it, bike boy. I had to sit there and I waited for all 30 of them to pass me. And I am not kidding you. I guarantee you, 21 of them were like, you're on a bike path. Finally, after the last biker went by, I turned around and everything in me wanted to come up real fast behind him. <laughs> I'm on a bike path, everybody. But I did show some restraint. I got back out to the main road. And of course, I'm taking an illegal turn because I'm turning off of a bike path. So people are honking at me, going like this. One person told me that I am the number one driver ever to drive on a bike path. That was at least how I interpreted you know, what they were saying. So my GPS just kept going crazy. Every two seconds, it was rerouting me. Finally, I had to just turn the thing off and get there the old-fashioned way. Now, aren't you curious what happened? A couple days earlier, my kids had been fiddling with my phone, and one of them somehow went on Google Maps, and they switched me from car mode to bike mode. <laughs> the whole time, I had been listening to the wrong voice. I think that's why some people struggle with anxiety. It's because they're listening to the wrong voice. There's this voice in your mind that tells you, you're not going to get it done. They're going to be so angry at you about this. It's not good enough. You're not good enough. You're going to fail. God's not going to forgive you. And they're listening to the wrong voice. Let me ask you, what are the top two or three areas that you find yourself the most anxious right now? Where you would say, this area and this area of my life are where I experience the most anxiety. And could it be that that voice in your brain that's telling you you should be anxious about this, could it be that that voice is leading you down the wrong path? According to the American Psychiatric Society, 39% of Americans are more stressed out, they're more anxious this year in 2018 than they were last year in 2017. 39% of Americans say, I'm more anxious this year than I was last year. Millennials are the most anxious, women more so than men, but across the board from baby boomers down to Generation Z, we are becoming a nation of nervous wrecks. What are the top issues that people are anxious about? Well, the first one was health, health-related issues. Number two was safety for your kids or for yourself, and number three was finances, I might even add relationships to that list if there was a number four. According to psychologist Robert Leahy, the average high school student today carries with them the same level of anxiety that a psychiatric patient had in the 1950s. I mean, just think about that. These are high school students, so they don't have families to feed. They don't have bills to pay. And yet they carry with them a level of anxiety that would have gotten them hospitalized 
in the 1950s. Despite all of our advances, despite iPhones and iPads and all of the safety features that we have on our cars and security systems that we have in our homes, we are lacking something that people in the 1950s had more of. It's peace. According to Harvard, America is now the most anxious nation in history. Not just the most anxious nation right now in the world, but all throughout history, we are the most anxious. What are the physical side effects of all of our anxiety? Well, I was reading one article, and it said that anxiety may lead to digestive issues, increased risk of infection, inflammation, excessive sweating, dizziness, insomnia, headaches, muscle tension, tremors, fatigue, foggy brain, irregular heartbeat, frequent urination, heart disease, chronic respiratory disorder, gastrointestinal conditions, loss of breath, and night terrors. I had to stop reading the article. I mean, I was getting foggy brain. I felt like I had to go to the bathroom. My heart was beating fast. I mean, this is why we're so anxious. It's because of articles like this. But people today are walking around with their worry meter pegged. How high is your worry meter these days? Now, some of us, it seems like we were born with a predisposition towards anxiety. As long as you can remember, this has been a struggle for you. And if, this is, if, you, if that's you, and you have high levels of anxiety, you may have to pursue some physical healing as well. Talked to people before who had high levels of anxiety and they found out it was something with their diet or their lifestyle or they weren't getting enough sleep. So there's some other things that you may need to pursue. But here's the lie that I don't want you to believe. And the lie is, well, that's just how I am. I'm just an anxious person and there's just really nothing I can do about that. Because Jesus says that you are an overcomer. That's who you are, which means that you can experience some level of victory in this area of your life. You may not get rid of all of your anxiety, but you can begin to experience some level of victory. How do you do that? Well, today I want to take you to my go-to Bible verse when it comes to anxiety. And this isn't just a verse that I looked up on Google or a verse like, oh, that's a nice Bible verse. I use this. When I'm anxious, this is the verse that I go to. My wife and I were just talking about this because a couple weeks ago, she had a couple nights where she wasn't sleeping well. And it was because of high anxiety. And she said, I just kept reading this verse over and over again. She has this verse memorized. But she wanted to read it. She wanted to see it until it began to sink in so that she could live it and she could experience it in her life. The verse is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Here's what Paul writes. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He began by saying, do not be anxious about anything. To which I respond, really? Because I have anxiety about my job and I have anxiety about my kids and now you're coming along and going, well, don't be anxious about anything. I'm like, well, I'm starting to feel a little anxious. Well, then don't. Just, just don't do it. I'm like, well, that doesn't help me at all, just telling me don't be anxious about this. 
But I don't think what Paul is saying here is never have an anxious thought, never have an anxious moment. What he is saying is when you have an anxious thought, bring that to God in prayer and petition and thanksgiving. See, sometimes when I see a list like that, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, I start to go, oh, they're just the same thing. I gloss over it. But in this case, they're different. What Paul is saying is when you experience anxiety in your life, talk to God about it. Turn off the radio on on the way into work. Go into your room and shut the door. Take a walk around your neighborhood at night and just go, God, I am so anxious about this. I don't even know why I'm nervous about it. I don't know why I'm anxious about it, but I just need to talk to you about it. That's prayer. And then ask God to take away your anxiety. Pray a simple prayer like, Lord, would you take this from me? I cast this onto you. That's petition. And then spend a moment thanking God for the good things that you have in your life. As opposed to just being focused on what you're anxious about, spend some time thanking God for the good things. That's thanksgiving. See, oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody who has high levels of anxiety, I will say to them, your anxiety is an opportunity for you to grow closer to Christ. And that can sound a little harsh, especially if you have a really high level of anxiety. But I will tell them, this is an opportunity. And what I mean is, right now, your anxiety is a trigger or a cue. Something happens that makes you anxious, and there's a trigger in your brain. And it triggers ruminating thoughts, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, your brain starts to go, well, what if this goes wrong? And what if this doesn't work out? And what if they were upset about this? And I saw something about this on 60 Minutes one time, and they did an expose on this. I mean, they'll just snatch your kids. And your brain just starts to go like this. And then there might even be some physical side effects to that. Sweaty palms, shortness of breath, can't sleep at night. It's a trigger or a cue. But what if you created a different trigger or a different cue? To where next time you experience something that made you anxious, you said, I just need to talk to God about this. I just need to pray, and I just need to ask God to take this from me, and then I need to think about some of the good things that God has done in my life. It would create a different trigger, a different cue. And if you did that, here's what would happen. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. It says it will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. Not maybe, not if you're one of the lucky few. says he will. And you don't get this peace from having more money. You don't get it from having more friends or doing more fun things on the weekends. You don't get it from dating, marriage, or kids. It only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says again. He says it transcends all understanding, all human understanding. Here's what that means. It means that the world will never fully understand the peace of God. If you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure if I believe that Jesus rose from the dead or not. I'm I'm, I'm uncertain about that. You might be listening to this and going, what do you mean the peace of God? What, what, what What are you even talking about? Because the peace of God is not something you can put under a microscope and go, oh, it's right there. But if you have it, you know it. If you've experienced it, you've felt it in your life. And I so want this for every one of you. 
It's available to every person here today through Christ. In fact, let me give you two ways that you can begin to overcome your anxiety. The first one is this. You've got to identify the lie that you're believing. I was listening to a message by another pastor, Pastor Craig Rochelle, recently, and he talked about a time when the staff at his church was playing a game of capture the flag at their offices, which just seemed weird to me. I can't even picture how you'd play capture the flag at the office, but apparently they had this rule that you couldn't capture the other team's flag until eight o'clock in the morning. So this guy on the other team, Kevin, had a brilliant thought. He said, I'm gonna get up at four in the morning and I'm gonna get into the office and I'm gonna hide in Craig Grishel's office. This guy's committed. That way at eight o'clock, I can just burst open the door, run out, grab the flag and our team will win. Problem was at seven o'clock, Craig got into the office, heard something in his closet, opened the door, saw Kevin in there, slammed the door shut, grabbed a chair, and tried to prop it up against the knob. But the chair wouldn't fit. It didn't lock the door, but he said it did anyway. He just kind of lied, and he said, oh, you're locked in there. You're going to be stuck the whole day. And Kevin started pounding on the door. No! But he never turned the knob. He never even tried to open the door. The door wasn't really locked, but he never even tried to open it. At eight o'clock, Craig was counseling a married couple, and all of a sudden they saw these ceiling panels moving. <laughs> and there was these two little eyes that peered down at them. Now, here's what I like about that story. Some of us today are locked in a prison, and the only lock on, a, on the door is a lie. Identify the lie. When you identify the lie, the truth will set you free. There are some of us here today who you have anxiety about the future and your ability to control the future. And the lie that you're believing is that you can do that, that you can actually control your future. You can't. There are some of us here today, you have anxiety around your kids. And the lie that you've begun to believe is that if you're diligent enough, if you're paying good enough attention, if you're trying hard enough, well, then you can protect your kids from all harm in life. And it's that lie that's leading to your anxiety. There are some of us who are anxious about what other people think about us. And the lie that you're believing is that other people are thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Okay, that's who we think about, right? But some of us are in a prison and the only lock on the door is a lie. You've got to identify the lie. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this. He says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There is a battle in your mind. It's the battle between God's truth about you and Satan's lies to you. Here's how this works. Neuroscientists have found that our brains are a series of pathways that like water rolling down a hill, over time, grooves start to get formed in our brain. And the more you think about something, the deeper that groove gets. And the more often your brain will want to go there in the future. This is why some people can't stop thinking about having a drink. And maybe this is you right now. Where you get to that point in the week and you just go, oh, I just need a drink. And you almost can't even get that thought out of your mind. You just think, oh, I just, 
Just take the edge off. Can't wait for Friday night. It's going to make me so happy. It's going to be so fun. And that thought just plays and plays and plays. It's the first step towards an addiction. There's a groove being formed. It's the same way with sex. It's why some people can't stop thinking about it. It's because there's a groove that's been formed in their mind. It's one of the reasons why pornography is so dangerous. Because when you view something like that, there's a chemical that gets released in your brain called dopamine. And it feels good. And your brain goes, oh, do do that again. Look at that again. I want to feel that again. And pretty soon a groove is getting formed. Now, what does this have to do with your anxiety? Well, there are some of us here who have had anxious thoughts running wild in our mind and we have never taken them captive. That there is a pathway or a groove titled what if. And that's not just a thought for you, that's a way of thinking. You just regularly go, well, what if this happens and what if this doesn't go well and what if they get hurt and what if they don't like this? And all of a sudden your brain just goes, yeah, let's go down that road. It's a groove. There are some of us who grew up with a mother or a father who expected, at least they didn't say it, but they kind of acted, that they expected you to be perfect. And they expected you to be the best. And an A minus wasn't good enough. It had to be an A. And, and making the B team wasn't good enough. It had to make the A. And you just started to live with that. And you started to have this sense that, you know what, if I'm not the best, if I'm not perfect, well, then I, I don't feel real good. And you have anxiety about this. It's because there's a groove, there's a pathway that's been formed in your brain. The next time you have an anxious thought, here's what you have to do. You have to capture it. You have to crush it. You have to put it in a prison and you don't let it out. Oftentimes, one anxious thought leads to another anxious thought, which leads to another anxious thought. You need to capture the first anxious thought. And you need to tell your mind, I am not going to go there. I'm just not going to think about that. I'm taking that thought captive and I am making it obedient to Christ. And here's what would happen if you did that. Pretty soon your brain would look at that pathway and there'd be weeds on it and trees growing over it and your brain would go, let's not go down that path. That's not a very easy path. We haven't been down that path in a while. And you start creating new grooves and new pathways in your brain. Have you ever thought about what you think about? Have you ever thought about what you think about? What are the top two or three predominant thoughts that you carry with you in your brain on a daily basis? And do those thoughts lead you to peace and freedom? Or do they lead you towards bondage and anxiety? What voice are you listening to? This is going to anger some of you and and cause you to question if I should be a pastor or not. But on my 40th birthday, I played the video game Fortnite. This was my midlife crisis moment. Some people go buy a motorcycle. There's a kid back here clapping. I appreciate that. (laughs) Connecting with a different audience. But but I played the video game Fortnite. It's kind of like I said, my midlife crisis moment. And I realized that for some of you as parents, this is frustrating because you don't let your kids play that game. And now I'm playing it, and so you're going to get in the car after church, and your kids are going to go, well, Pastor Jason plays it. How come you're so strict? How come you're so mean? I can't stand you. So you have that to look forward to after church, okay? You can, you can thank me for that. But kids, here's the deal. You can't use me in your argument with your parents, okay? It's your parents' call, and a sign of maturity is being okay with a no. 
But I played this on my 40th birthday, and of course, my three sons crowded around me because they wanted to see how dad was going to do. But the problem was they all kept yelling stuff out at me all at once. So one of them was like, build. And the other one's like, get that weapon. And the other one's like, don't land on tilted towers. Everybody lands there. You're going to die right away. And so this whole time, I got all these voices. My six-year-old, who's never played the game, kept trying to touch the iPad and do stuff. They're like, don't move. There's someone behind you. They're going to see you. And finally, I just lost it. I'm like, stop talking. I need to concentrate. And my wife was like, I think you should put the game away. Screen time, <laughs> screen time's over, Jason. <laughs> but I, I do have to tell you, I do have to tell you that on my fourth time playing the game, I got second place out of 100 people, out of 100 middle schools, high school, college students sitting there playing this game for five hours a day. I walked in 40 years old. I got second place. That's what's up. Okay, are you impressed about that? Thank you over here. Now it was disappointing because two of my kids said they'd give me all their Halloween candy if I won and I just, I turned and then I was done. That was it, I got second. But here's why I tell you that story. That is a picture for how some of our brains are working. There's too many voices, too many opinions, too much social media, and it's all going like this in your mind, and it's making you anxious. You've got to tune into the voice of God. See, there's a lie that you have believed, and that lie is leading to your anxiety, and if you could identify the lie, it would open the door for God's truth, and God's truth would set you free. Here's the second way that you can begin to overcome your anxiety. It's this. You need to trust God to give you what you need when you need it. What is at the root of your anxiety? I mean, I know what you're anxious about. I'm asking you, why are you really anxious about that? Have you ever thought about it? You ever sat down and wrote out, well, here's, here's what's really driving this. Here's at the root. I think for some of us, we would say, you know, honestly, it's, it's this belief that God's not going to come through that God's timing isn't the best, so I need to be worried about the timing of when this is gonna happen. And I don't know if God wants the best for me, so I feel like I gotta kinda take control myself and make sure I get what I want when I need it. And I don't know if I believe that God's gonna provide, and I don't know if I know for sure that God's in control, and it's that thought that makes you go, I need to take control myself. A few months ago, I started seeing a counselor, and not because there was anything major to deal with, but. I just wanted to talk to someone about the stress and the problems that I face in life. And he told me this story that has stuck with me. It was about a little kid who went to his dad and he said, dad, I am afraid to die. And part of my own story with anxiety is that before I became a Christian, I would have panic attacks around death. That this thought that I'm no longer going to exist one day would just take a hold in my brain. And I would get so panicked, I would be shortness of breath. I'd have to pace back and forth until it wore off. And when I came to Christ and I started believing that Jesus rose from the dead and there was a hope of eternal life, God began to change my thinking. He began to do a work in my life. But I was talking to my counselor about this, and he told me this story about this little kid who went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I'm afraid to die. I'm not ready for that. And his dad looked at his son and he said, son, when you take the bus, this is when people would take the bus more, but when you take the bus, 
do I give you the money for the bus like three days in advance or three hours in advance? Or do I give you the money for the bus right before you're about to get on? And the son said, well, you, you always give me the money right before I'm about to get on the bus. And the dad looked at his son and he said, son, God will give you what you need right when you need it. And that's what I want to say to some of you today, that God will give you what you need right when you need it. He may not give it to you three months in advance. He may not give it to you three years in advance. But right when you need it, God will give it to you. And if you could believe that thought today, it would eliminate much of your anxiety. Look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew 6. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. It's a freeing statement. How many of us today are just worried about our life? He said, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And we all know that we can't. We all know that worrying is not going to actually add more time to our life, and yet we do it anyway. But Jesus goes on, he says this, he says, pagans run after these things. They want health and safety and, you know, clothes. And all. Pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There are some of us here today, you are anxious about something that's going to happen next week. Next week on Christmas, you're anxious. I'm going to be able to get the meal all together. Am I going to have to have that hard conversation with my brother? My in-laws are coming over. It's a little strained. And you're anxious about something that's going to happen next week. Some of us are anxious about things that are going to happen next year sometime in the spring or summer. There are some of us who are even anxious about things. We don't even know if it's going to happen. It might happen. And so we're going to be anxious about it now just in case it actually does happen. Here's what you need to declare today. You need to declare, I choose faith over fear. No matter what's happening politically, no matter what's happening in the Middle East or in the world, I choose faith over fear. You need to choose prayer over worry. Instead of worrying about this, I'm going to pray about this. And then you need to choose surrender over control. You can't control everything that your boyfriend or girlfriend does or says or that your kid, a kid at school says to you. You can't control your spouse or your kids, but God is in control. He's the one who created the stars and the moon. He's the one who holds the oceans in his hand. Even though the earth may be shaken, I will not be shaken because my God will give me what I need right when I need it. My mother-in-law has struggled with high levels of anxiety for 30 years. She's been hospitalized multiple times for this. And my mother-in-law has been a believer her whole life, but a few years ago, she joined several Bible studies. And she started to apply the Bible to her life in a, in a very new way. And God began to set her free. One of the issues that she had a lot of anxiety around was a house fire. And it was at the point where we couldn't cook. 
when we were at her house, she wouldn't want us to turn on the oven because she had this thought that somehow her house was going to burn down. She came over to our house on Thanksgiving and we not only cooked, but I started a fire in the wood-burning fireplace and she didn't say anything to me about it. And I actually went up to her at one point and I kind of put my arm around her. I said, I'm a little surprised you didn't you know, mention the fire. And she looked at me in, in what for me was a very tender moment. She said, I think God has healed me. And I wanted to read to you something that she wrote in her journal. Because I believe that there's a lot of us here today who might want to say, you know what, I believe that God has healed me. That there are some high levels of anxiety in your life. And how powerful would it be if that began to break and you could say, God, you've healed me. Here's what my mother-in-law wrote in her journal. She said, I finally came to the point where I realized that my life doesn't belong to me. That's a powerful statement. She said, it belongs to a living God. I had all these fears of losing my kids or losing my own life. And I had come to the point of believing that my kids and my life, and my fears, that they all belong to me and they don't. They belong to a living God. They were his. And she said, I started to learn what Jesus meant when he said, if you cling to your life, you're gonna lose it. If you're trying to control everything and you're trying to cling to everything and you're holding on to everything like this, you're really anxious when it's not working and you start to lose your life, he says. But if you surrender, if you choose surrender over control, if you choose faith over fear, you give up your life for Jesus, that's when you begin to find it. She said, the more anxiously I held on to my life and to safety, I lost it. The more I died to myself and trusted God's will, the more at peace I was. I wanna ask you today, are you at peace? Do you have the peace of God, the, the peace that transcends all human understanding? Do you, do you have that in your life? Do you know that your life, it doesn't belong to us? It belongs to God. And so we have nothing to fear. No matter what happens to us in life, we can trust God and know that we have nothing to fear. Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and it will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. I want to close out today's service by singing a song together about God's peace. And it's been my prayer this week that as you sing this song, that God would do something in your life, that you would identify the lie that you've been believing and that you would come to this point of being able to release your anxiety to God and that you would sense his peace coming over you. I've been praying that God would do that as we sing. And so let's all stand together at all of our campuses. And let's have a moment where we surrender to him.